One of the fascinating things that one notices if you study the history of ideas, and really the history of human civilization, is the fascination that ancient man had with planets and all the celestial spheres. As long as humanity was recording itself, they were recording the stars, the planets, the sun, the moon, the movements of comets and shooting stars. Mankind, as long as they've been thinking, humanity has been thinking about the celestial spheres. And what is the reason that ancient man was so fascinated with these extraterrestrial realms? So, what one understands when you study ancient writings is that we have to understand that humanity, especially back then when there was not yet any scientific advancement, humanity was stunned by how much unpredictability there was in earthly life. Everything on earth was marked with decay, with constant change, whereas the heavens seemed to possess an eternity an eternal regularity, a luminous beauty, an established realm of entirely different and superior order. When mankind looked up above to the sky, they saw generation after generation, century after century, the opposite of mundane existence. They saw regularity, incorruptibility. The heavens seemed to possess an order of time that transcended complete human time. An order of time that suggested eternity itself. It was evident that the movements of the heavenly bodies influenced earthly existence in many ways. Besides just every single day, dawn and dusk and spring and winter with unfailing constancy, there were floods and tides and all sorts of things on earth that were ascribed to different stars and according to Torah as well. It's a Pasuk in Chumash and V'zayis Abracham in Megat Tvoiz Shemsh Megat Gersh Yerachim The sweetness that comes from the sun, the sweetness that comes from the moons. So the heavens and the celestial sphere seem to be heavenly. They seem to be heavenly. And the truth is that according to Torah, as the Rambam explains, the Rambam very much agrees with Aristotle, Ptolemy and Aristotle's view of the heavens. I know that contemporary science does not agree with the Rambam and Aristotle, but, you know, to be honest, uh, listen, I'm not a science person, but I'm not so impressed with science. I mean, technology is amazing what we could see with with our human eyes, with telescopes and micro magnifying glasses. But you know that science still doesn't know what's in our atoms and beyond the planets. Malamata, malamala. So science is good for what we can empirically experience on Earth. But beyond that, like the Rambam says about Aristotle, Aristotle is good for up to the heavens. What's beyond the heavens, what's beyond the sun and the moon and the planets, or even the sun and the moon and the planets, science doesn't know very much. So the Rambam said that also Aristotle doesn't know about. That we need Torah for. But up to the planets, the Rambam says Aristotle is correct. The Rambam agreed with Aristotle. And the bottom line that Aristotle explained the planets, and this is how ancient man, the maskana, the bottom line, how ancient man viewed the stars, the constellations. And lest you think it's just Aristotle's concept of the unmoved mover, which we're about to learn, it's in Keladon that we sing every Shabbos. In fact, every single morning after Baruch Hu, before the Shema, if you look at the words that the sages put in our davening, 
It's throughout the, our davening, it's in the Gemara, throughout the Gemara. The same idea that Aristotle says, which is that it's true that the luminaries, the celestial spheres, the sun, the moon, the stars, they do have knowledge of God. In fact, the Ramam says they have more knowledge of God than humanity, less than the angels, but more than human beings. Now, obviously, when we speak about the planets and the stars having knowledge, it doesn't mean they know how to like do algebra or word that Napoleon lost at Waterloo. It means knowledge of God, a knowledge of being existence, the true type of knowledge, knowledge of self and of God as being their source. And what all our sources in Aristotle and the Rambam, I don't know, I'm not so sophisticated, so these are much better for me than science. What all these sources explain is that the celestial spheres are in a constant state of trying to get closer to God. They're constantly doing hakafis, they're going around and around, trying get closer to God. God is the unmoved mover in Aristotle words. And Aristotle explains just like a beloved, when somebody's in love with somebody, the beloved could be sitting in their house playing with the rubber ducky in the bathtub and the lover will do a million things to get close to the beloved. The beloved is the unmoved mover. The beloved is just sitting there and causing the lover to do a million things to get close to it. So Aristotle in Lahavdil our Torah says that the planets, the sun, the moon, they're, they're millions of light years of movement and billions of miles of movement is that all the sun, the moon, the stars, they're all singing to God and trying to get close to God. And the truth is that in our sources, in our Torah, it's not just the planets and the sun and the moon in Perak Shira. And in Chazal, we know that King David spoke about that the, the plants and the animals are also always singing to God and trying to get close to God. Again, it doesn't mean like a song like in a Walt Disney movie that the animals are singing. But it means that the deepest level of their energetic essence of who they are, they're in a constant striving for to reach their perfect form in Aristotle's words and in Torah words. That means to reach their shlemus of how they could praise God and bring about God's glory on earth. And they're always singing to God also. And it's not just the animals and the plants and the stars and the spheres, it's the angels, which also we say before Kriya Shema. We then speak about how the angels are singing to God. And our sages teach us that in fact it's a hishtalshlus, it's a chain. Each blade of grass and each animal in, on our earth has an angel in a, above in a superior, higher world that corresponds to each blade of grass that's singing to God and corresponds to a star. So each blade of grass and each animal corresponds to a star which corresponds to an angel in an even higher spiritual world. So every single thing you ever see in the world is singing to God and has an angel that's singing to God and a star or a sphere that corresponds to it up in the universe that's singing to God. And we have davening. We have davening. When we daven, as all the holy books teach us, davening is much more than just asking for stuff. That's the external chitzonius halachic aspect of tefillah, to ask for stuff. But essentially, when we stand in prayer, we're joining with the ultimate truth of the rest of reality. We're putting our body and our mouth in a position to be aligned with the truth of all of reality, which is a constant being moved to get closer to God, to constantly be singing and praying and be striving to get closer to God. When we daven, that is when we are in our most natural form. Although it might not feel like that, that's because the we that we know is not aligned properly 
daven, a proper davener. But Lamani is a mercha chovet v'loyidoim Hashem aleikai l'aylam aydeka. The Zohar says the lower light is always calling up to the higher light and never stops, is never silent. The lower reality, the lower waters is always yearning to get back up to the higher waters. All of us, all of reality is davening. And the secret of the Davidic dynasty, what Chizkiah taught Yeshaya, the prophet Isaiah, is that the ultimate secret of King David of Anit Fila, I am prayer, that prayer is not an act, prayer is a state of being, davening is not something you do to achieve something, davening is the breath of life. And therefore, even if a sword, when the sword, a sharp sword, is on a person's neck, when there doesn't seem to be hope, a Jew still davens. Because davening isn't necessarily about achieving something, although, of course, there can be miracles if you believe, but much deeper than that, davening is about coming to align yourself to feel that the breath in your mouth is the breath of God's mouth, and coming to feel the secret of life.